You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, my voice did go out in first service, so I'm going to do the best I can to, to I'll, I'll know the sermon's done when I have no more voice, so that's, that's where we'll stop, but yeah, anyway, uh, Romans 8, we've been in this series for the last few weeks uh, talking about more than conquerors, and uh, we've been studying, going through the chapter, chapter 8 of Romans, which is really like, I described it to you as kind of the, the mountain peak of, of the book of Romans, that everything prior to it leads up to this great kind of crescendo, this, uh, this high, high height, uh, as it describes what Jesus has done in our lives, and we started with week one. The declaration, the title is I am free, and it begins with Romans 8, verse 1, that says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Aren't you glad that he forgave you? Aren't you glad that he saved you, that he rescued you? Uh, I, 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 for one, am glad. I'm glad of all that he's done in my life. And uh, last week, I, I gave you this title, and I actually changed it for the podcast. I called it, uh, I'm a Child of God, because it's actually a major theme of what I, I read to you last week, and then I preached a totally different sermon. So I didn't talk about being a child of God hardly at all, so, so the new title is I'm His, uh, because we talked about how important it is to be led by the Holy Spirit, what that means when he's our shepherd, when Jesus is our shepherd and we're his sheep and how he leads us into the promise of God. Today is I am called. Romans 8, verse 24, says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. We talked about that last week, how the Holy Spirit jumps in with us to rescue, to help us, to empower us, to lift us up, to rescue us from the pit we may find ourselves in. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And here's the key verse today. Romans 8, 28, my wife actually shared it uh, as she was praying for you today. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. I, I, I want to, a couple times as we go through this today, I'm going to tell you what some of these verses say and what they don't say. Because I think it's important to know what the Bible says. It's important to know what the Bible doesn't say. So last week I gave an example. God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. It, it, it sounds good, but it's not in the Bible. It's in our culture. It's in our vernacular. It's in, it's in an expression that we use, but it's actually not in the Bible. Uh, we, we also say things like, well, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. And usually we say that, you know, when things don't go the way we expect. Have you ever had everything go exactly the way you expected? Exactly the way you planned? Exactly. I, a few years ago, my, 
our family, we took a road trip up here to Mason City from where we were living at the time in Florida, and uh, we, we drove up here in our minivan, and there was a very short window of my life, which I'm thankful is over, where I'm no longer a minivan dad. <laughs> and uh, we drove that minivan, and it was, you know, about 24 hours in total of driving over the course of a couple days, and, and driving up was okay. It wasn't bad, but driving back... If you know, if you do any road trips, you know driving back is always the worst because you just want to get home. What's what's two hours feels like ten hours, and we we get across the border of Tennessee into Georgia, and as we're going, I I'm driving the minivan, and uh, we picked up a I think it was a finishing nail, which was about three inches long. Destroy the tire. <laughs> it was the quickest flat tire I'd ever had in my life. And uh, thankfully, while we were in the middle of nowhere in Georgia, we happened to be at the right place to pull off into an exit, and we got there where there was a Walmart tire center. Thank you, Jesus, for the Walmart tire center when you're stuck on the side of the road. (laughs) Sometimes things don't go the way you expect. And usually the way we kind of cope with that is we'll say things like, everything happens for a reason. Maybe you said that. But here's what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things are good. Let's, let's put Romans 8.28. It says, all things, let's go back to the next one. Yeah, all things work together for good. It doesn't say that all things are good, but all things work together for good. And it, I think this is important because, you know, sometimes we think, well, everything happens for a reason, and we, we have things in, insur- in the insurance industry called acts of God. And I think we get it twisted. We, we take what the Bible tells us is very simple and we overly complicate it where now suddenly we don't know who the source of the issue is. Because here's what it also doesn't say. It doesn't say all things in my life are good. All things that happen to me are good. It also doesn't say that all things are from God. And I know that might offend some religious sensibilities in the room, but it takes a whole lot of degrees, more than a thermometer has, from a Bible seminary to complicate what the Bible's made very simple. Good God, bad devil. John 10.10, I gave you that last week. The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. It's really simple. And I think we've got to get that, that, that clear because if I don't know the source of the issue, I won't know how to pray. I'll accept what I should fight against. Or I'll fight against what I should accept. Are, are, are you with me? So if something's from the thief, I'm not supposed to accept it. God hasn't given you a spirit of what? Fear. So you don't have to accept fear. We know that all things work together for good, but, but here's what it says. For those who are called. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is I am called. You are called. You are called by who? You're called by God. And, and that word called, it's, it's something that's interesting because um, we, when we had our very first service here at River City Church three years ago now almost. I preached a message talking about how everybody has a calling from God. And right after the service, I had somebody tell me, they say, I've been in church my whole life, and I've never heard that simple statement. 
everyone has a calling from God, not just pastors, not just leaders of churches, not just the Pope, (laughs) not just Sunday school leaders and missionaries. I'm thankful for all of the above, but here's what we need to recognize. God has a calling for you. What does it mean to be called? Well, uh, my my in-laws are awesome at, on Sundays, in the afternoon, we get a call, and they tell us what they've got cooking in the pot roast, in the crock pot, and, and we're, they invite us, and, and today I didn't even wait till they invited us, invited ourselves over, um, but, but they invite us over to participate in what they've prepared, to partake of what they are making ready, and that actually, that word called actually means that in the Greek. It's a word that means to invite to a banquet. It's like somebody called you up and said, hey, I've got this amazing banquet, and I want you to receive. I want you to be a part of it. Come over. And so God has given all of us a calling. And this calling is an invitation. It's an invitation to receive and partake of what God has for you. I, I, I couldn't find the statistic. I, I want to say it was something like 84% of most American churchgoers do not know what they're called to do. Jenna, can you grab me a bottle of water? They, they don't know what they're called to do. Just think about that. 84%, thank you, 84% of those that attend church, believe the Bible, come to church every week, hear God's word, do not know what they're put on planet earth for. Second Peter 1.10 says this, therefore, my brothers and sisters, let's put that on the screen, please. Second Peter, here's what it says. My brothers and sisters, make, make every effort, make every effort to make your calling and election. Election is a Greek word, ekologeo, which means to call out. It's like to, to hand pick, to hand choose. Do you remember when you were a kid and you played kickball and there were two teams? You made captains and, and some of you were, you were the ringer. You were the first kid they picked. But some of you might have been like me. We're like, they get, they get through the list, and the two captains are now fighting over who has to take you. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you that, I just heard an awe. That was not for sympathy. <laughs> because here's what I want you to understand. What people don't see, God sees. What people may not choose, God chooses. You're called by God. It doesn't matter who recognizes it. Who, who affirms it, who celebrates it, who posts about it, God's called you. There's a great preacher around the early 1900s. His name was George Campbell Morgan. And uh, when he was a young man, he was a part of a denomination. He went before a board of people, and he preached his very first sermon. And this board in his denomination were choosing whether or not he... And many like him would become a pastor in their denomination. So he preached his sermon. But they weren't going to give him a response that day. And so here's what happens. 
Uh, not long after that, he was going to find a list. And there were two lists. One list is who made the cut. And the other list is who was rejected. This is far enough back where to communicate back home, he would have to send a telegraph. And so the, he, all he could do was write out a simple message. And that day, he's about to tell his dad whether or not he was going to step into his, what he considered to be his calling in that denomination. He looked on the list, and under the approved, accepted column, his name was missing. On the rejected column, his name was right there. So he sends back word back home to his dad, and this is what his message was typed out in the telegraph, rejected, rejected. But thank God his dad had some wisdom. And his dad wrote back, accepted by God. He would go on to be the, the standard bearer, the top, he's called the prince of preachers of his generation. The reason I tell you that is because it doesn't matter who rejected, who, who overlooked you, who forgot you, who ignored you, who talked about you, because if God's chosen you, if God selected you, if God said, you're mine, you belong to me, it doesn't matter what people think of you. He says, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. And if you'll do that, watch what it says. You'll never stumble. If, if I could tell you, man, there would be a, if you go to Starbucks today and get you a caramel frappuccino, if I said, if you go get that, you'll never stumble. How many of you are like, oh, I'm all about it. <laughs> this is a promise because lots of people start out in marriage in their career, in their business, in their, in their ministry, whatever it is, raising kids. And we start out with the best intentions, but along the way we stumble. And here's what this says. If you will live making every effort to confirm, to know, to walk in, to recognize your calling, you'll never stumble. People who lose sight of their future always return to their past. They always settle in their present. Great story in the Old Testament. It's in uh, 1 Samuel 16. We won't turn there for time, but. God comes to Samuel, who's the prophet of Israel. And he comes to him because the current king, Saul, has stumbled. Man, he's blown it. He's turned his back on God's calling and purpose, done things his way, lived for the praise of people, disobeyed God, all, all this stuff. And Samuel, he's just mourning. He's weeping. He's upset. God comes to him and says, why are you still mourning over Saul? seeing I've rejected him. I want you to go to the house of a man named Jesse, and I want you to find one of his sons 
and anoint him. If you don't know what anointing is, for all of us who didn't grow up Pentecostal, it means he's going to pour some oil on his head. And he's going to be marked as king, one of his sons. And why this is important is because some of us are still mourning over what went wrong, what didn't work out, who, ch- who rejected us, who talked about us, who hurt us, and we're still mourning over old history, and it's actually the thing that's keeping us from seeing the calling. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He says, hey, Jesse, go get your sons. We're going to have a feast of the Lord. Jesse invites his sons, all but one. He brings his oldest, who looks like George Clooney. And, and, and Samuel sees him and says, oh, man, that's got to be the guy. He looks like a leader. He's the tallest. He's the strongest. He's like, that's the guy. And Samuel gets ready to anoint the firstborn son of Jesse. God says, nope, that's not him. That's not the one I chose. So he goes to the next son who looks like Brad Pitt. It's the whole Ocean's Eleven crew. <laughs> And uh, God says, no, that's not the one. He goes, one after another until there's no more sons left at the party. And God tells Samuel something that absolutely is important. If we could put that up. Verse 7, don't look at his appearance or his physical stature, saying, I've refused him. For the Lord doesn't see as man sees. That's good news, church. People see, celebrate, recognize what's on the surface only. God cuts through all that stuff, goes right to the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. So, so Samuel says to Jesse, well, God says it was none of these guys. Do you have any more kids? Jesse goes, oh yeah, there's one more. If any of you feel like a bad parent, just read the Bible. You'll get so encouraged. (laughs) Jesse goes, well, there's one more. But I've already decided he wasn't worth inviting to the party. He doesn't say that. But he rejected by not choosing. Jesse didn't. The dad. See, yeah, there's just, he's this hippie kid. He's writing poems to God, Psalms. And he's, he keeps talking about killing a lion and a bear, but none of us believe him. Samuel says, we're not going to sit down until you call him. So David comes. The Lord says, that's him. Samuel goes up to, to David, takes his horn of oil, pours it over his head, and says, this is the Lord's anointed. You're going to be the next king. David is chosen. He's called. God has chosen you. Listen to me, church. Doesn't matter who's ignored, who's neglected, who got that promotion instead of you, who got that opportunity instead of you, who got that partnership, that job, that business, that that relationship, and you feel like you're on pause. If God didn't call you to it, you don't want it anyway. (laughs) Because you don't look at the outward appearance. I, I, know, I know they look good right now, but 
is that really where you're going to spend the rest of your life? That's, that's a sermon for somebody. <clears throat> I know that opportunity pays more, but you don't see the compromises you're going to have to make to keep it. God says, that's the one, David. <laughs> Samuel gets all Pentecostal, pours some oil over his head. And if you are David, you're probably thinking, God just called me. I'm going to be the next king. Get the U-Haul ready. Dad, forget those sheep. I'm big time now. All my brothers, big time. Forget you guys. <clears throat> Do you know David's story? Do you know what he did next? He didn't move into the palace. He went right back to his sheep. And, and I'm sure David spent a lot of time thinking, I'm hidden. I'm forgotten. But it was in the hidden place where he got to know his God. It was in the place where he was alone where he found out he wasn't alone. Do we have that picture? Of the, were we able to get that, Roman? Can you pull that up? Yeah, so this picture is a dark room for photography. Um, I like to take pictures. I know we've got several amazing photographers in our church. But I, I take pictures the new way, the easy way, the digital way. Because I can fit 10,000 pictures on an SD card. And it's easy. There's no process involved. I know there's a process for photography and all that, but, but, but the way it used to be done, and I know the way I used to do it was I go to Walgreens. I didn't do this. But, but, but this is a process of development. And the reason it's called a dark room is because if you have light from the sun, outside light, the film that's removed from the cartridge can be exposed prematurely before it's processed before it's developed. And the reason for the dark room, the reason for the process in the dark room is so that the film can be properly developed in the right timing, through the right process so that it's ready to be viewed, ready to be appreciated, ready to be enjoyed. And so the process of the dark room, and I'm probably gonna get some of these steps wrong, but the first thing is you have to cut the film from the cartridge. Some of you are going to have to explain to your kids what film is. I'll let you do that later. You have to cut the film from the cartridge because in the process of the dark room, the place where you feel hidden, the place where you feel like you're all alone, it's just you and God, is actually the place where God begins to cut away what's no longer a part of your future. And then they take the, the, the negative. They take the negatives it's interesting they're called negatives. They take the negatives through a process. And this process involves having the right environment, the right temperature, the right mixture of solutions that the, the negatives will be passed through and soaked in. In fact, they'll be placed in, a, in, in some kind of a cartridge with the right solution. And, and the way it was described is agitation. The film has to be agitated a few times. I don't know if you've ever been in a place in life where you feel like, God, I want to, I'm ready. 
I'm ready. I'm single. I'm ready to get married. Come on, God. I, I'm, I'm out of school. I'm ready for my career. I'm ready for my calling. And our, our time is we're always, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. And here's what I found out. When I thought I was ready, I wasn't. If you take the film into the light prematurely, you'll ruin it. And God does a process of working all things together. And sometimes it looks like hiddenness. And sometimes it looks like you're separated from some things. And sometimes it feels like you're being agitated. God, I'm ready. He goes, you're not ready yet. Just because we've gone digital doesn't mean God has. Just because we like the process sped up doesn't mean God has sped up his process. God has been in the business of making men and making women into who they're created to be since long before we showed up. He's really good at it. <laughs> and, and so the, after it's been soaked and then rinsed and brought out, then they take the, the, the finished product and before it's brought out into the light, it's hung to dry. Well, God, I just feel like I'm not doing anything. I feel like you just stuck me on a shelf. <laughs> what if, what if you found out, you know what, here's what I've learned. When I thought I was ready, I wasn't ready. When I thought I was ready to get married, we're just about to celebrate 16 years of marriage in a couple weeks. Thankful for that. Anybody who's put up with me for 16 years, thank you, Jesus. But can I just tell you, There was a season where I was crying out to God, oh God, I'm ready. I wasn't ready. God wanted to work in me to make me the person who was, do you know, this church, what God's done in River City Church in the last almost three years, we carried as a promise for more than 15 years before that. In a lot of seasons where I thought, God, I want to do this my way. I'm ready. God's like, no, you're not ready yet. Keep serving here. Keep doing this. Keep following. And God was working a process. What if, the, what if what God's put inside of you was going to require some preparation? In fact, let me just say it like this. It will require some preparation. Because God, I don't want to come to the light prematurely. Okay, number two, we'll go through these faster. But number two, God's, if we go back to Romans eight twenty eight, God works all things together. Not all things are good. Not all things are from God. But here's what's amazing about our God is he's able to take the good, the bad, the ugly. He's able to take even the rejection of people, even what they said, and do something in your life that the finished product, the end result is almost, I don't, want, I don't know how to say this, but there's some things that at the time I thought, I don't want to walk through this. But now looking back, I go, God, you worked all things together in such a way that I'm changed. <laughs> 
I'm not who I used to be. I came out of that more free. I came out of that with character. I came out of that with more trust. He works all things together for your good. Point number two, and his glory. You got to have both of those. Because sometimes what I think is for my good may not be for his glory. And what's for his glory will always be for my good. What does it mean for something to be for his glory? Well, there's a great story in the Bible. Story of Joseph. Joseph has a dream from God. He spends a decade of his life rejected by his brothers. Anybody have some family issues? Don't raise your hand. Don't put your hand up. His brothers hate him. He gets betrayed, turned on by those closest to him, and then he ends up a slave in Egypt. Then he gets accused of something he didn't do. He's put in prison. And from one moment to the next, things seem to be all bad. But Joseph knew who his God was, who was working all things together for his good. It didn't mean that what people did, didn't mean what his brothers did was from God or was good. But can I just tell you that God can take, he can make an omelet with any pair of eggs. And, and, and God takes a mess. And at the end of Joseph's life, here's what happens. Joseph gets promoted from the lowest place to becoming second in charge of the most powerful kingdom in the world. It's an amazing story. And he's, he's the most powerful man other than Pharaoh in the entire world. And his brothers come to him one day in Genesis chapter 50. It's a long story. But Joseph's brothers come to him and they're worried about because now here's the way things work. When people have an opportunity to get those people back, usually we take it. Instead of forgiving, instead of letting go, instead of blessing our enemies. And that's what his brothers are expecting. Man, Joseph's in charge, he's in power, and now he's going to use that power to get us back. Joseph calls them and he says, I've forgiven you. Genesis 50, 20 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Here's what it says. You meant it for evil. But what you did, you meant for evil. But God for good. God meant it for good. So, so you thought you were going to kill me. You thought you were going to betray me. You thought you were going to end me. And he says, No. I realize now, because I've had perspective, and I'm realizing that God actually worked all things together for my good, but also for his glory to save, here's how he says it, to save many other people. Joseph realized that his pain wasn't wasted, that his past wasn't wasted that God could take all of the mess and all of the stuff and all the things that people did and God could put it all together and do something great with Joseph. It wasn't just about God blessing Joseph, but it was about God giving Joseph a purpose to save his whole family, 
to preserve generations. What if God could take your mess and take your brokenness and take your history and put all things, work all things together in such a way that he actually uses your life to change history? And I'm not just talking about world history. I'm talking about your family's history and North Iowa's history. And what if, what if God could redeem your story? Well, you don't understand. I've done too much. Too much time's gone by. I've got too much of a mess. No, no, we serve a God who works all things together. You're called. You're chosen. You have a purpose from God. And God can take the tapestry of our mess and weave it together. So we can say like Joseph, oh, God, I get it now. Paul said this, we comfort others with the comfort we've received from God. Don't don't waste your storm. Don't waste your battle. Don't waste your, your challenges. Because as God heals you, as God brings you out, as God sets you free, he didn't just do it to help you, and he does. I'm so thankful for that. But he did that to give you a ministry. Do you know ministry isn't just what pastors do on a platform? It's what every person in the church does as we give away what God gives us freely. Oh, he comforted me. He healed my heart. He restored my life. When I was hopeless, when I was bound, when I was messed up, God forgave, redeemed, healed, set free. Oh, and then he wants to do it for you too. I know there's going to be some people that God's going to bring you into the path of that need exactly the healing that God's brought you into. That need your story. It's interesting. um, Before we go to point three, there's this story in the New Testament. It's Acts chapter three. And uh, Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple to pray, to talk to God. And along the way, they see a man who's laid beside the, the gate called Beautiful. He's physically disabled, and he's unable to work because of his condition. And so Peter and John are walking by him, and on this particular day, Peter notices him, looks at him, and this man looks up because this is the man's entire livelihood is begging for money. It's the only way he can get anything to to, to feed himself, to provide for himself, is he has to ask for others. And and he, he sees Peter, and Peter looks at him. And this man, expecting to receive something, looks at Peter. And he, he's expecting money. Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have. I didn't bring my wallet to church today. But here's what I have. Such as I have, I give to you. That's what it looks like to discover your calling is you find out what you have, and then you realize what God did in you wasn't just for you. And then you give it away. Such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What I love about that story, yes, God healed the man. Amazing testimony. But you know what's interesting? If the man had got what he wanted, he would have missed what he needed. If he had gotten what he asked for, 
he would have missed what God wanted to do in him. Because when God works all things together, if the man, if Peter gave him some silver and gave him some gold, the man could have gone and bought lunch. But he would have still been there the next day and the next year and probably the rest of his life. He would have stayed broken beside the beautiful gate watching people pass him by on their way to worship God while himself missing out on what God wanted to do in his life. If he got what he had asked for instead of what he really needed, he would have missed it. But what, what he, listen, God guides by what he provides. God also guides by what he doesn't provide. Some of us are still messed up about that one prayer that he didn't answer the way we thought he should answer. Do you have silver? Do you have gold? He says, here's what I've got. It's so much better. What if what God's wanting to do is for your good and for his glory so at the end of the story, the end of your life, nobody else could get credit for what God would do? What if it was undeniable? I was laid by the gate and now I'm whole. Number three, final point. Jason, if you want to get ready. Let's put it on the screen. Number three. I didn't preach half my notes. Your first and highest calling is to love God. Let's go back to Romans 8.28 before we finish. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together For good, two things. To those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Hopefully I've already established you're called. But if I can go back to, like I said at the beginning, what the verse doesn't say. It doesn't say God works all things together for those that he loves, which is everybody. Well, I don't understand that. It doesn't say God works all things together for those he loves, but it actually says he works all things together for those who love God. What's the difference? God loves everybody, church. Can we just establish that? Can we just like, I said that first service, two people go, yeah, amen. He loves everybody. No, that's like so foundational. That's so fundamental to recognize that God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He loved you before you showed up. He loves you before you responded even once to him. He loved you. The Bible says this is love. Not that we even love God, but that he first, first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us because of love. God so loved the world that he gave. But it doesn't say that he works all things together for those that he loves, but it says for those who love God. I think what's the difference between those that experience what God's inviting them to as he takes all of the mess and all of the stuff? Listen, my wife is an amazing cook. 
my skill set ends around mac and cheese and peanut butter and jelly. We've got some bakers in the room. I know Alex, she's an incredible baker. We went to their house and it was like, man, it's amazing. If you give me the same ingredients, <laughs> I'm not going to know what to do with it. And we have our stuff, our issues, the good, the bad. We have our history. We have all those things. What do I do with it? Well, I give it to God because he's the one who can bake the cake. He's the one that can work all things together. For those who love God, last verse, Jeremiah 29. Here's what this says. 29 verses 11 to 13. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Some of us really do believe deep down that God's out to get us. It's not what the Bible says. His thoughts, his plans. One pastor defined calling as the day I gave up my plan and followed his plan. If, if I don't really trust the one who calls, because I think, well, you know, if, if I really trust Jesus with everything, his plan's going to make me miserable. Well, if, if I say yes to Jesus, he's going to make me move to the other side of the world. <laughs> he's made me do something crazy. His thoughts are to give you a future and a hope. His calling is not ill-fitting for you. You actually discover, will there be surrender? Will there be moments where you go, I don't see it yet, God? Oh, yeah. But the end result, you'll go, oh, God, that's what I was made for. That's what I was created for. To give you a future and a hope. That's God's plan. Here's the response. Then you will go, verse 12, you will go and pray to me. You'll call out, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, verse 13, and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Oh, church, this is why I believe to experience the call, to experience God working all things together. This is our part, love God. Not try to fix it all, not try to figure it all out. When they hurt you, I don't just forgive because I've like stirred up some warm fuzzies for them. Like, oh God, I'm really going to think better about them. No, I probably can't stand them. Just being real. Some of you are like way more spiritual than me. But I am going to love God first. And if I love God, I can't withhold forgiveness. <laughs> not because they deserve it, not because I feel it, but because I'm going to first love God. Seek me, you'll find me. When you search for me with 
all your heart. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.